Welcome to the Sheep Connect New South Wales podcast. It's time for you. A podcast produced for the sheep industry by Sheep Connect New South Wales. Hi, I'm Fiona MacArthur, a network coordinator for Sheep Connect New South Wales. The Sheep Extension Network in New South Wales, which is funded by Australian Wool Innovation. Sheep Connect New South Wales has a membership of over 2,200 and our main aim is to help keep you and your sheep business up to date on information about all things sheep. Grazing crops do require a fair amount of investment and add greater complexity to the mixed farming enterprises. But extensive research now sees the market offering many varieties which can offer great opportunities as dual purpose crops, providing feed for livestock and a crop that can be harvested. However, caution needs to be taken to ensure your grazing animals are provided with adequate mineral supplementation. In this episode of It's Time For You, I'm joined by Jeff Duddy to explore these opportunities further. Hi Jeff, and thanks for joining us on It's Time For You. Hi Tiana, how are you going? Very well, thanks. Jeff, let's start off and talk about why winter cro- the winter cereal crops are such a good option for producers. Yeah, they really have been in the last 10 years or so. They've um, the newer varieties and the like, and they offer a, um, a bit of a feeding program or ability to feed stock um, when pasture growth is slow and um, we've got a bit of a break. Jeff, are there... Do you have any hard and fast rules on when we should graze them? Generally, you're looking six to eight weeks after germination and uh, sort of, you know, six inches or so. Um, and those who are up to date with um, pasture assessment, somewhere around a tonne per hectare um, of dry matter. Uh, one of the things with cereal crops, they are quite high in moisture, you know, 70, 80 percent moisture. So we need to take that into account. And when we look at grazing these crops, are there any practical issues with grazing them that we should be taking into consideration? Yeah, for sure. The um, a lot of work's been done, grain and graze in particular, have done a lot of trial work um, with mineral supplements. Um, hard and fast rules is don't put your stock on um, empty or hungry. So fill them up with hay or something prior to letting them onto a, a cereal crop. Um, provide supplements, mineral supplements. Um, there were over 9,500 samples tested throughout Australia and um, a couple of years ago and basically um, they found that wheat and oats in particular were reasonably highly deficient in sodium and calcium um, um, but didn't look too bad for magnesium but um, one of the issues with uh, wheat in particular is that it's quite high in potassium and potassium can have a negative effect on magnesium absorption. So we need to supplement with some minerals. Um, what I like to recommend is a 2-2-1 mix, which is uh, two lime, two salt, and one part cause mag. Um, so we're supplementing with calcium, sodium, and magnesium. I also recommend we keep roughage up um, to try and you know, slow down the gut flow. I think that's one of the issues we have with induced mineral deficiencies is you know, the rapid gut flow and the animals not not adequately um, getting enough of the minerals out of the what they're eating. 
Um, I also recommend, if, if they can, to um, put self-feeders out, um, preferably with oats, so it's a you know, reasonably safe grain, um, to provide that extra energy. Um, in terms of vaccinations, whenever you change stock, you really should look at hitting them with a five or six in one for your clostridials. Um, the other one is vitamin B12. Um, in the eastern states, we don't really have big issues with B12 because it's related to cobalt intake and cobalt deficiencies really occur on sandy soils, which is like South Australia and WA. But, but the fast-growing cereal crops, fast-growing grass-based pastures um, can have an induced um, deficiency of B12. So a B12 injection is going to help as well. And Jeff, you just mentioned the clostridial diseases there. Besides the clostridial diseases, are there any other potential health issues that come up from grazing these crops that we need to look out for? Yeah, it's pretty scary when you look at it. Um, we'll see when we do the webinar that uh, I've got a couple of tables there looking at our cereal crops, brassicas, canola and even lucin and the potential health issues. Um, and there's probably a, a good list of 20 um, potential issues that you can have. So. Um, you've got to be wary of, of the health issues. Um, I think a lot of it is, is nutritionally based, obviously, uh, and one issue is, is keeping that dry matter level up or dry matter intake up. Um, again, providing something like hay and also oats is going to help out with both energy and some fibre. And you mentioned just before that the wheat crops are quite deficient, some of the testing that's been done. Um, how deficient are some of the other crops as well? Yeah, oats, as I said, was also a big percentage of the crops tested were deficient in sodium um, and also calcium. Barley seems fairly safe um, for all minerals. I'd still recommend that we have the mineral supplements out there, particularly with lambing ewes, um, which a lot of people in southern New South Wales in particular will be looking at. And why, why are the minerals that we're looking at are deficient? What's the importance of them and the function of them for the animals? Yeah, okay, well, sodium is actually needed for a lot of iron transport and the like, and, and a sodium deficiency, which we counteract by putting salt out, um, can actually induce a magnesium and calcium deficiency. Um, and sodium to potassium balance is right out of whack in most of the cereals, and that exacerbates the low sodium levels to start with. Calcium, calcium, one of its main roles is, is a muscle contraction, and the uterus is a muscle. So if the ewes, particularly twin-bearing ewes, are deficient in calcium, um, we may see prolonged and difficult births and potentially death of the lamb and the ewe. Um, magnesium, it's needed for nerves, nerve functions. Um, it's got a lot of similar roles to calcium, like muscle contraction as well. But one of its primary roles is actually the metabolism um, of carbohydrates and the like, so energy production. So a, a magnesium deficiency can actually interfere with the animal's um, energy balance. And by providing supplementation, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but can supplementation also affect and be beneficial for growth rates? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, again, magnesium and B12 are both related to um, energy production or energy requirements of the animal. So. Um, if they're deficient in those, and B12 is actually produced in the rumen, uh, as I said, from, from cobalt. So if we have an induced deficiency, um, that can interfere with glucose production, which is a primary energy source for the, for the sheep. 
um, and magnesium. As I said, it's needed for actual um, the metabolism breakdown of carbohydrates, fats, um, starch, and that sort of thing. Sugars for uh, for production of energy. And moving on to talking about supplementation, what are your recommendations for when we're? I mean, the, I'm assuming the reason we're having so many problems with these crops when it comes to deficiencies is because they're a monoculture. So how do we go about supplementing under these circumstances? That's a really good point, the monoculture thing. I mean, if you look at lucent and um, in particular, we just look at lucent as an example. Um, every farmer will tell you that they'll walk the fence lines and eat all the weeds and all the dry feed before they really get into lucent. Um, it'll be the same for the other crops. Uh, a monoculture is obviously boring for them. Um, so it's a bit of variety and the like and they'll go to it. Um, in terms of mineral supplements, it's difficult. Uh, I can't explain why sheep will go to a, um, a supplement or lick at some times, but other times they won't. Um, we do know on heavier soils that calcium in particular is, is, is a reasonable intake from crops and the like on heavier soils. Your loamy soils and your sandy soils, yeah, you can have a few calcium deficiencies um, on those soils anyway. So. You know, we need to get some sort of supplements out. Um, you can look at your commercial blocks. I generally recommend farmers just uh, make up their own blocks on farm. Um, as I mentioned before, 221 for lime, salt or ma and cause mag. There's other products like acid buff, which is a seaweed extract. And it actually, it's a very good buffer. It's the main buffer they use in, in pellets and the like now to try and prevent acidosis. But its other roles are it actually actively releases calcium and magnesium into the rumen. So um, it's, it's quite a good um, product you can use as well uh, in combination with some salt. And Jeff, does the ratio and level of supplementation change depending on the stage of growth or the type of animals that you've got grazing the crop? It would. I mean, while they're actively grazing, um, you know, six, eight weeks after emergence and then we get a three to four week sort of window of active grazing. I mean, the crop is really firing at that stage. And as I said, there's a very high moisture content um, and low dry matter contents. Um, so actually for the animal to actually harvest those minerals, uh, to my mind, is quite difficult unless we provide the minerals and we slow that gut process down. And we've spoken a lot about minerals and you touched on just briefly before the importance of B12 and cobalt. Are there other vitamins, though, that we should be considering on these crops? It's not too bad. Vitamin A and E, basically, they're going to get heaps of from a green crop. Um, D3, uh, which is needed for um, calcium uh, absorption and the like, um, it potentially can be an issue particularly if you've, say, got woolly ewes, if it's overcast um, and, and the like. Uh, roughage, you're going some medium to good quality hay actually is a D3, vitamin D um, supplement as well. So that helps out with the, um, the vitamin D. Um, I think most other ones are pretty well right. And when they're grazing the crops, you said before that you can start, we spoke about when they're going to start grazing them at about a thousand kilograms of dry matter on the ground. What sort of um, strategies should you be looking at for different grazing recommendations? Yeah, 
I mean, it depends on your stocking rate. Um, I mean, we can carry 30 to 40 DSC or dry sheep equivalent. So basically the equivalent of 30 to 40, 50 kilogram weathers um, can be set stocked on the crops. Some of the issues you'll run into, though, is that um, particularly if you've got a little bit of height in the crop when you first put the, um, the stock in, they can actually crash graze in, in sh and, and graze down to shorter area, uh, shorter levels. Um, sheep are just, they just love doing that sort of thing. So you won't get an even grazing across the crop. So you need to be um, wary of that. Also, um, even though they won't drink as much this time of year because of the moisture in the feed, um, grazing around your watering point, uh, that'll be, that area will be flogged out as well. And is there a level that you recommend grazing down to? Is that the same as your starting height for starting to graze at 1,000 kilograms? Ideally, um, what we actually prefer is that you look at the, the tillering when they start to tiller and when the first node actually appears. Um, we need to take the stock off at that time. But I guess it depends on whether or not um, you're basing your, your gross margins on the meat values. Uh, or whether or not you're going to cut the crop for hay or silage or take it through to a grain stage. There's certainly been some great trial work showing that you can actually get a, a good three to four week grazing window um, without doing too much damage to potential crop yields. Um, the main thing is to, between about that four to five leaf stage and you're starting to get tillering and that sort of thing that you need to take stock off. Yep. Jeff, we've spoken about some of the more common crops that you see around, but what about some crops like brassica and canola? Do they have a similar feed quality? Yeah, they do. I mean, all our crops, our grazing crops, are probably 12 to 15 megajoules of energy, upwards of 25, 30% protein at times, and really good digestibility. So they're a great, great feed source. Um, the issues with our canolas and brat and and the brassicas is a few other issues. There's the um, potential health issues with goiters. Um, there's also potential health issues with high sulphur intakes, um, one being PEM or polyencephalomalacia, which is basically a deficiency induced by, by high sulphur. Um, and it, it's interesting in a way because, you know, the high protein, and protein is basically nitrogen, and nitrogen to sulphur should be about a 10 to 1 sort of balance and I'd have to think there'd have to be that in the crops but just with the um, again canola and brassicas we can have issues at times with sulphur um, and some health issues there so look it's it's really important that producers do monitor their um, stock while they're on the crops um, if there are any health issues sort of starting to show its head we'll get a local vet out an LLS vet or, or equivalent out to have a look uh, get a diagnosis done and then uh, work out the management protocols to try and counteract that. Don't be too worried about scouring. Don't don't reach for the drench gun. Um, there's a lot of different causes of scouring. Um, it's, to my mind, most of the problems on grazing cereals and brassicas and the like is that high moisture content and the rapid gut flow. So, again, let's keep some roughage out there. And you just mentioned the earlier symptoms. What sort of early symptoms would be flagging a warning sign to start to think about getting your vet out there or to make some, to bring them off the crop? Yeah, listless animals. Um, in the case of magnesium, we don't see the symptoms so much in sheep, unlike cattle, but 
Um, the term grass tetany, a lot of producers would be aware of that, and that's basically basically that magnesium deficiency um, and nervous symptoms and twitching and the like um, because magnesium is needed for the ner for nerves. Calcium, um, coming into lambing, uh, hypocalcemia or calcium deficiency, um, you'll see the ewes will be down. Uh, more often than not, they'll have their head turned back. Um, the beauty of that if, um, with calcium, if you get to them early enough, uh, within a couple of hours of them going down because of the calcium deficiency, if you uh, inject them with a flow pack, um, calcium boroglutinate, uh, within half an hour, if, if they're okay, then they, uh, they'll come good. Um, we shouldn't see too many issues with preg tox. That's an energy-based um, issue, but it can be predisposed if, if they're under stress. Um, and again, that's where magnesium helps out with stress. But if a ewe is, is slightly hypocalcemic, so has a um, calcium deficiency, that might tip her over into preg tox. And preg tox is a really difficult one to get the sheep back from. Um, basically because the first energy source they use um, is the fat surrounding the uh, brain. So if you don't get to them and get some energy into them very quickly, um, they basically go brain dead and, and we end up losing most of them. And if you're grazing pregnant ewes on these crops, when do you recommend, well, do you recommend firstly, I suppose, pulling them off before lambing or is it safe to lamb down on the crops? Yeah, again, it depends on whether or not you're going to graze right through. I mean, lambing on a crop and then having to move them off the crop when you need to, if you're going to take it through to grain, is really difficult. Um, I'd actually, I think most people would be um, grazing these crops in sort of mid to late pregnancy. So coming into a high risk time for mag uh, sorry, calcium in particular. So it's, it's critical that they keep the, um, the calcium intakes up. Um, my general view is uh, singles, I'd leave the, um, the licks out um, all the time. With twins, there's a stream of thought of reducing calcium intakes two weeks prior to lambing to make the ewe mobilise her own reserves. I personally think that's way too dangerous. Um, most of that work's been done on cows or dairy cattle um, who are very, very high milk producers and have a high calcium draw. Um, but with twins, what I'd actually recommend is have the licks out, let them run out or take them away or cover them up for a couple of days and then give them access again to that lick and do that. So they have access to the lick for a couple of days so they replenish their reserves and then take it away or cover it up for a couple of days so it shocks their system into mobilising their calcium reserves. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of It's Time For You, the Sheep Connect New South Wales podcast. We'd appreciate it if you could share our podcast within your networks. And if you haven't done so already, subscribe to the AWI podcast, The Yarn. We'd love you to stay in contact with Sheep Connect New South Wales, and you can do this in a number of ways. Join our network by visiting www.sheepconnectnewsouthwales.com.au Find us at Sheep Connect New South Wales on Facebook and Twitter. We look forward to seeing you at our workshops and events later in the year. Thanks again for joining us today. Bye for now.